0: If you have a Bible, you probably have maybe outlined or highlighted in it John three sixteen. Who in here has John three sixteen memorized? Not from watching WWF wrestling when you were a kid. Uh, one of the most well known verses in the Bible, right? I'll tell you what some pastors don't come near that verse. They say I don't even want to I don't even want to teach on it because it's just so it's just so high, you know? It's like all you can really do as a human is just mar it, you know? So that's the text that we're going to look at today. Uh, just that one simple verse. So simple that a child could understand it, so profound that the longer you think about it, the longer you meditate on it, the more you know that you just don't know that, you know, the depths, you'll never plumb the depths of that verse. In fact, such a verse that D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, um, he, you guys know the story about D.L. Moody, he went to Europe to preach for a while, and um, he was asked to go there. And while he did, um, there was a young man that he'd never met before that ins- essentially insisted that he would preach at Moody. You know, he would preach, um, at, you know, at his church. Um, he never met him before. And he says, well, while you're gone, you know, I'll preach at your church. And he, um, you know, never met the guy. But then he says, okay, we'll go ahead and and, and preach. And he came in, and while he there, um, he he taught, you know, I don't know how many weeks in a row, but when Moody got back, he asked him, said, how is this guy? You know, how, how is this preaching? And um, she said, he taught John 3.16. And, you know, Dwight thought, well, that's elementary. Everybody knows that, you know, whatever. And so he said, no, you just got to come hear him because he was going to teach a, another night while he was there. And he came and um, he said, um, you know, I just had never heard. The love of God put it to me like that, and the trajectory of Dwight's ministry changed uh, tremendously after that. In fact, that text, um, that pastor that was filling in for Dwight, he taught on that every night that he taught. And he said, I'm just going to keep teaching it until it sinks in, until you get it, you know? And so it's a very profound text. You should listen to some of Moody's sermons on that text, you know, after he had that experience. It's good. You can find a lot of them, audiobooks and stuff. So, the greatest gift. Um, I just want to welcome everybody that's watching online uh, tonight uh, to Calvary Chapel here. Those of you that are watching online, I'm glad that you're with us. Um, I'm glad that you can participate in the way that you can. Nice time of year with friends and family here. And um, I love the exchange of gifts. Um, I didn't used to like that, you know, for a while I went through this phase of like, I don't like Christmas. It's all about gifts, you know, and like people are just materialistic and I, you know, just, just bad attitude about life. But the more that I've just, uh, you know, the Lord has just chiseled away at me. I love the exchange of gifts, you know, that you can give something from your heart to somebody else, you know, and, um, So that just, I I like it. You know, I like to say, I love you, you know, and and people give things to me too, and that's okay too. I like that, you know. Uh, But how Jesus says it's truly, you know, well, you know, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, it's true. And God is a gift giver, isn't He? Right. So I've entitled this message today, The Greatest Gift. I thought it would be wonderful just to kind of reflect. These are some reflections in this message tonight. It's not a typical sermon where we go verse by verse through a big chunk of text, but it's just reflections. There're just going to be some reflections on John 3:16. So let's just take a few moments and we'll look at this wonderful text. If you want to just say it with me, if you know it, go ahead. Um, I'm in the New King James version. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love the right after where it says that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, because, uh, but he came to save the world. That's a good verse to memorize, too. Get the next couple verses in there. You know, add that to your, to your memory verse. So, John 3.16. Here's a few things that we're going to look at um, as we go through this text. When we assess the value of a gift, right, there's a few things that we look at. I think I put them on the next slide here. You know, I'm just thinking about gifts, Right? When we get a gift, we assess the value of the gift by a few different things. Here are a few of them. Uh, You know, who's the gift from? What's the motive behind the gift, right? Um, Who's the gift given to? These are things you think about when you think of gifts. What the gift is. What the cost, what the gift cost, the gift giver Uh, How about the way the gift is received? And maybe the problem that the gift fixes. My wife likes that. She likes practical gifts. So what problem this gift fixes? And then lastly, what the gift produces. We see all those things in that one verse, those 25 words, all those things Talk about this great gift, this gift of salvation. Let's talk about the first one. Because of whom the gift is from. That's why it's one of the greatest gifts, is because of whom the gift is from. I have memories of uh, growing up on the farm as a kid. And for a while, my mother and I lived on the same property as my grandparents, right? And I remember Christmas morning, I would get right out of bed and... uh, if I even slept, because sometimes I didn't sleep, I was, you know, you want to catch the reindeer and everybody in the act, right? You know, and see, well, you're eating the cookies, man. You're taking the carrots. So I'd spring out of bed, though. I'd sprint across the snow-covered gravel, uh, gravel driveway, and in one leap, literally, I would skip all the stairs, pass all the stairs on their deck, and I would bolt into the house, sprint across the living room, and I would slide like a baseball player, like right underneath the Christmas tree, Right. And then I'd be looking at the presents, and you'd go right to the tag, right? Because you want to see, like, who it's from, you know, and who it's to. You know, i admittedly, I probably just wanted to see who it's to more than anything else in that day, right? And you look at the tag, and this one's from Grandma. This is from Grandma and Grandpa. This one's from your mom. This one's from Santa. But this gift that we're talking about, if you looked at the tag, you'd see this gift is from God, Look at it there in in John 3:16. I don't know if you want to go back to that slide in a second. I don't know. If you guys have the verse memorized, you can just pull it up in your brain. But it says, for God, those two words uh, that start that verse, for God. That's who the gift is from. The maker of heaven and earth. The all-powerful, all-knowing, unchanging, unchangeable, absolutely pure, holy, righteous judge of the universe, the God of eternity, to Adam from God. Now, what about the motive behind the gift? The next two words in John three sixteen, a gift is great, right? You know, this gift is great because of the motive behind it, right? Look at what it says, for God so loved. That's God's motive in giving this wonderful gift. You know, many today think that God is like, distant. They think that he doesn't care about them. Some people even think that God hates them. I talked to a lady on the North End one time when our church used to be up there, and she said it was at a barbecue outside, and she says, I'm reluctant to go into a church building because I think God might just like strike me with lightning, you know, and she was serious, you know, Um, and some people think that God hates them. They don't understand the love of God. It reminds me of a story I read by uh, in, in a sermon, a preacher was talking about this father that was of poor character. And the mother wanted to do whatever she could to keep the, her son from being corrupted by the father's influence. And she tried and she tried and she tried, but it didn't happen, uh, you know, like father, like son in this case. And he became like his dad, and the mother's heart was crushed. In the future, the son grew up and they were sitting in court after he had been sentenced to his crime and the mother was in the courtroom and um, she sat listening as the judge read the charges. Murder in the first degree. And her heart sank. Day after day as the trial went on, as witness after witness came forth and gave their testimony, the lump in her throat enlarged, the hole in her heart expanded. It seemed like Everything that was being said about her son hurt her more than it hurt her son. Sentencing came finally, and he was given the death penalty. So the courtroom just erupted in apl- an applause, cheering. Justice had been served, everybody but the mother. She begged for another hearing but was denied. The time came for the execution, and she begged for the body, but that was also denied. This was back in the day where they buried the body in the prison yard when they were executed. A short time before her death, her wish was to be buried next to her boy, which was also denied. But you see, this mother wasn't ashamed to be associated with a murderer because it was her son. Now, that's probably the closest thing on earth that we can see to the love of god closest thing is a, would be a mother's love you know fathers run out family members turn on you friends all this other stuff but the love of a mother but this love is only a glimpse just a piece of the kind of love that god has for us Ephesians 3.19, Paul was talking to the Ephesians and he was praying for them and he says that they would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Talking about God's love, this love that just surpasses knowledge, it like blows your mind. is what Paul, he was praying that they would know, that they would come to know this love more and more. The love of God is marvelous, limitless, it's undeserved, it's unparalleled, it's unending. The motive of this greatest gift is love, it's God's love. How about because of whom the gift is given to? look at those next words there. Because God, for God so loved the world. Now, that's an interesting statement because you know the context of John 3. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews, and explaining to him that he needs to be born again. He gets down to John 3.16 and he tells, this. this is all in that context of explaining to this Jewish leader, That, you know, you need to be born again to go to heaven. You know, you need to have a natural birth plus a spiritual birth. And so it's in the context of Jews talking to Jews. And so when Jesus said, for God so loved the world, this would be an offensive statement to most Jews in that day. Do you you understand that? Because the Jews thought that God only loved them, right? God only loves sons of Abraham, and that's what they thought. And so when Jesus said that God so loved the world, the term the world was synonymous with Gentiles back then. And it was like what Jesus is saying is, hey, God doesn't only love the Jews. He loves the whole world. Now, this isn't the world in the Garden of Eden where God, you know, pronounced it very good. This is the world after Genesis chapter 3. If you know your Bible, you know what happened in Genesis chapter 3. This is the world that Jesus is talking about. The fallen world. The world that's become corrupt and broken. Infected with sin and death and perversion. This is that world in which God so loved you know, that world. So what Jesus says here is inc- it's just incredibly radical. This excludes no one, but rather includes Everyone, this is the best first, the moral, the immoral, the ignorant, the abusive, the destructive, high, low, the indifferent, the calloused, the uninterested. God loves the fallen, broken world as a mother loves her troublemaker no less than her good kids. Though this love ensures heartbreak, which he certainly experiences, right? Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is interesting because some people think that God loves and gives this gift that we're talking about only to the pure and only to the holy. They think that God, you know, how many people have you heard say in your life, You know, I need to clean up my act and then go to church. You know, I can't go there until I clean up my act. I can't get right with God until I do something. I need to fix myself before I go to God. They don't understand that God so loved the world. Broken people, right? Broken, miserable people. The tag on the present says, To the world from God. Now, how about this? Because of what the gift is, it goes on and and says in this wonderful verse, it says uh, that he gave, he's a gift giver, he gave. But what did he give? He gave his only begotten son. You remember the Old Testament account of uh, Abraham and Isaac, this term only begotten, it's used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament for that you've If you don't know what I'm talking about, the the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and then it was translated into Greek by some Jewish scholars. And um, in there, this term, this only begotten term was used to describe Isaac, Abraham's uh, son. It's interesting, Abraham had two sons, right? But God, when God, you guys know the story. Um, Abraham had been promised a son, and he, he had went a long time. No son, no son. Eventually, he's old. I mean, he's like 100, and he's in his hundreds. And eventually, that promise of God uh, comes true in his life after much heartache, faithless moments and everything else, right? And he has a son, and then God says, he says he wants him to do the unthinkable, And he says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice. Crazy story. This term, only begotten son, means unique, one of a kind, special, beloved. Luke chapter 1 verse 35, an angel answered and said to her, which is, that's Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, for unto us a child is born, or for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Talking about the Messiah, interesting that the Messiah's name will be God, right? He's the one and only Son, the one and only unique Son, the only begotten Son. Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says this, talking about God, he who did not spare his own Son but delivered him up for us all. God wants you to understand that he gave his son to be offered up for you as a sacrifice. People think a lot of things about Jesus. They think, well, he was he was a hippie. (laughs) You never heard that one? Jesus was a vegan, you know, or something like that. Or you know, or Jesus was a great teacher. He had some great philosophies. He's more than all these things. He's God. He's a sacrifice. He came to be a sacrifice a blood sacrifice. A, a, he came to die in your place. He's not just a great man. He's a great man. He's not just a great man. He's not just a great teacher. He came to be a sacrifice. He came to die in your place. God sent his son to be murdered. God sent, but the son was also willing. You ever think about that account of Abraham and Isaac? It's like Abraham was old by that point, and Isaac was like probably maybe in his 30s. I mean, he didn't have to get on the altar, right? He could have said, Dad, you're like, 102, 103? I mean, come on. And there's a picture of the father, uh, you know, being obedient and the son also being obedient. He gave his son to die as a sacrifice. A gift is great also because of how much the gift cost the giver, which just comes naturally out of the last point. The death of his only unique son I remember one year I wrapped up uh, one Christmas memory I wrapped up a pair of my mom's shoes um, a bunch of coat hangers um, some candles off the coffee table Ah, boy and some other things I've since forgotten and um, gave them to her as Christmas presents right and and I can't exactly remember her reaction, uh, but I'm sure she appreciated the thought. By the way, I was like seven or something. You're thinking this was like last year. You're like, what a jerk. <laughs> Imagine if I did that today, though, right? I mean, that'd be kind of insulting. Well, the point is, though, the gift, you know, you can assess the value of the gift by how much it costs the giver, Right? The gift that God gave, this greatest gift, motivated by love to the whole world, which is nothing less than his son, it cost him everything. God wants you to understand that he paid a great price to be with you. He wants you to understand that. He's not distant, he's not far off. He wants to be thought of as a father that loves you, that gave everything to be with you. He wants you to understand that. No sacrifice was too great when it came to God saving you. A gift is also great because of the way that the gift is received, right? The way that the gift is received. Uh, Look at it there. Here's how you receive it whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So whoever believes in him, the way that the gift is received, you know there are some gifts out there and there's some motives out there behind the gift giver. It's not easy to receive the gift, right? Because there's a weird motive behind it, you know what I mean? Some people just give to make themselves feel better. Some people give with strings attached. Some people, uh, you know, they're not really giving you a gift. They're, they're saying, if you'll, do, if you'll do this, then I'll do this, you know. But this gift, the way that it's received is how a gift Should be received with just no strings attached. You just believe and you receive. It says, whoever believes. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, 8 and 9, 2, verse 8 and 9, we have just this concise description of the gospel, of the good news of you know salvation. It says this: For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. This is so important because people, even though they've heard these things so many times, they, they have this hard time of getting this earning and deserving and achieving mentality out of it, especially us as Americans. You've been told ever since you were young, for generation after generation, that you don't have anything unless you, what? Unless you do what? Work for it? Some of you are like, I don't work, man. I don't know what you're talking about. No, but the, the way that the statement goes is you don't get anything unless you work for it, right? That's, that's the American way. You don't get anything unless you work for it. That's why the gospel is so contrary to, to so many hearts. So many hearts are hardened to the truth of the gospel. They really are. And you can tell them a verse like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It has nothing to do, It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not of human works, right? So if I was to give you a gift right now and say, uh, I don't know what your name is, but sir, here's a gift for you, right? And if I was to give you a gift and then you take it and then I say, okay, well, I want you to come over and, you know, and clean my house or something, you know, you can have the gift then. Well, that's not a gift. There's strings attached to that. That's terrible, right? That's not a gift. If I go and I, and I go to my wife and I say, I just want to give you a gift because you're just so pretty, well, that's, she, I, she's, it's not just a gift. It's because you're pretty, right? There's always something attached to it, right? But that's not how the gospel works. The gospel is a gift with no strings attached to it. God just wants you to receive it, right? He just wants you to believe it, right? That's important. You know, if you add one work to this, it's no longer a gift. You know, it doesn't say keep sacraments, it doesn't say "believe and perfect your belief by keeping sacraments. doesn't say that. doesn't say "believe and get baptized." It doesn't say "believe and read your Bible every morning at the same time. It's good to read your Bible every morning, any time. But it doesn't say "believe and do anything. Once you say "believe and," you've perverted and corrupted the whole thing, right? We, my wife and I love to go to this coffee shop where there's some good friends of ours and we like to take them juice, right? And we're doing this like grace experiment with them because uh, the dude used to be a pastor and his wife's a Christian and we're doing this grace experiment. So we will give them juice, you know, uh, like we have a juicer, make ginger juice and, and celery juice and all this stuff. It's really good for you. And we'll give it to them. And then they'll go, the guy will, he's cute, you know, and he'll take it and he'll go, oh, that's so good. And then he'll look around his coffee shop and he'll be like, and he'll try to give me a cookie and stuff. And like this reciprocity thing kicks in of like having to give back. And we've been doing this for years back and forth with each other. And then they'll give us a whole pan of, we like these protein bars that they make. They're so good, man. I mean, they don't have any added sugar or anything like that. They're so good. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. And then, so then we'll take the pan home and then Aaron will be like, well, we need to take them some juice tomorrow. And it's like, isn't it so weird? Because, you know, somebody said, I just want to do this for you. No strings attached. I don't want anything in return. Want nothing. But you can't live with that, right? You're sitting there. I got to do something back for him. I got it. Well, God says, look it. I want to give you the gift of my son. He wants to He'll die in your place. He died in your place because I want to be with you. need your sins forgiven. You can only have your sins forgiven by a perfect sacrifice because you've offended a perfect God. And so he sends his perfect son to make that perfect sacrifice. And he says, I want to give this gift to you. What was done on the cross, I want it to be applied to you, to your life. And he says, I just want to give it to you, right? And you receive it. The gift is great, isn't it, because of how it's received. I'm so glad it's not dependent on works and that it's not dependent on me because I'll tell you, I would mess up before the end of the day. I would mess up before the end of the day. I would already have lost it so many times today. I feel so terrible for the people that don't have any security in their salvation because they don't understand how the gift is received. They don't understand it's believe and receive, right? And so they they sin and they, I don't even know if I'm saved. I feel so bad for them. They don't have any security because they don't understand that it's the gift of God to them. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Acts 10.43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. Romans 1.16, love this one. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who Believes, yeah, for the Jew first and then also for the Greek. Simple how it works. We believe God gives. A gift is also great because of the problem that the gift fixes. That's our next point. Now, look at this problem that this gift fixes. Whoever believes in him should not perish. That's a problem. Anybody that hasn't received this gift by implication is what? Perishing, right, They're they're dying. They may be walking, but they're the walking dead, according to the Bible. They're spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. They've had a physical birth, but they haven't had a spiritual birth. They're perishing. My wife, I mentioned earlier, I keep mentioning her. I love her. Merry Christmas. Uh, She loves practical gifts. Anybody here like that? practical gifts somebody says what do you want for christmas and you're like i just just give me something practical if i give my wife flowers she's like that's just a waste of money you know except for those orange ones you really liked those those, those were really cool it's a weird color like blood orange it's interesting this gift is incredibly practical i mean without it you're going to die <laughs> without this gift you're going to die First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1:18 says the message of the cross the message of this gift that we're talking about is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it's the power of God 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9 says these shall be punished he's talking about the people that blatantly reject Jesus Christ, that they know full well what they're doing and they reject. They don't want anything to do with this stuff. He says, they shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's a verse that pastors get embarrassed about in 2021, but it's in the scriptures nonetheless, right? The gifts of man, philosophy, psychology, they may be helpful. But they're unlike the gift that God gives. They will merely walk you to the grave with some flowery thoughts. But even so, you're perishing. Ephesians chapter 2 says that apart from this gift that God gives, that you and I are dead in trespasses and sins. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord's not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This gift fixes a very practical problem. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Finally, a gift is great because of what the gift produces. And look at it there, that he should not perish, but rather have everlasting life. Everlasting life is not merely duration of life. It's not merely quantity, its quality of life. In the book of, what is it, 2nd or 1st Timothy? Is it 1st Timothy or is it his brother, 2nd Timothy? I'm just kidding. I love that joke. <laughs> I don't know nobody else likes that one of me. But Paul says this, he's talking about, he's talking about widows in this context. you guys remember the verse? He says, look, somebody that lives, he says, a gal that lives for pleasure is dead already. Right? You know that to be true. If you're living for self, if you're living for your appetites, if you're living for your worldly possessions, if you're living for your worldly pursuits, you you know. You're dead already. You know what I mean? It doesn't satisfy. It's like drinking salt water every day. It doesn't get you anywhere. You know know that. There's an emptiness. You can have every single thing. Has anybody ever experienced that? You've had every single thing that you could think of, but you're empty inside? You ever had that? I spent years like that. Years like that, and I couldn't figure it out. I mean, I was so blinded that i just go to the next thing, you know, and to the next thing, until eventually I was like, I just don't have any more things to go to. Why am I so empty? I made a list of goals, I achieved the goals, and I'm like, well, why am I so empty? Because you're missing everlasting life. And maybe you're sitting here today, you say, that sounds like my life. I always think, you know, I get these moments where I think, this is empty. Maybe you're missing everlasting life. This is something that this gift produces. Not only a duration of life, not only that you'll live forever. Do you know the Bible says that whether you're saved or not, that everybody's going to live forever? You guys know that? That's terrifying, to, to be honest. You know, I mean, if you think about how many people are rejecting Christ, that they will experience an eternity of that, you know, the emptiness now that people feel without Christ is a taste of what it will feel like forever, you know. The Bible says clearly that whether you're saved or not, it's the destiny of all humans to live forever. Eternal life is the quality of life. It's a quality of life. Quantity of life without quality of life is living hell. On and on with an empty existence. Some of you have been there where you've just said, just take me now, Lord, this is emptiness. I just want to die, right? If you're honest. Quantity of life without quality of life is living hell, right? Right? But that's what this gift offers. It gift. The gift offers eternal life. Hope. Optimism. A perspective beyond. Well, you eat, you know you live and you. Then you die. You, I was going to say that other statement. You eat. And you, You know, you, you live and you pay taxes and then you die or whatever, how those go? Those maxims of the world that we live in? Eternal life. God's gift to you is that you won't perish, but that you'll have a rich, meaningful, quality life that lasts forever. That's so good. I can attest to this. I, can, I told you, I was just dead in trespasses and sins, miserable, thought there had to be more to life than this, right? And I can tell you with certainty, since I gave my life to Christ, I, I mean, since I received this gift, I can tell you, I've never said once in 12 years that there's got to be more to life than this. That's never come. That's never come up. I've never felt like that. It's, if you're born again here today, you can attest that you know what I'm talking about. If you've opened the gift that God gives by faith, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't opened this gift, that's my prayer for you tonight, is that you would open yourself to Jesus Christ, that you would respond. God is working on your conscience. You're hearing these things. My prayer is that you would open your heart to Christ. He wants you to have a rich, meaningful, quality life. Last forever. Interesting paradox, isn't it? That Christ had to die so that we might live. It's a bizarre paradox. I can't wrap my mind around it, but I can tell you that I, I've lived it and I'm living it. I know it's true. So, the greatest gift, right? Because of whom the gift is from, the motive behind the gift, which is love, whom the gift is given to, the least, the last, the greatest, the worst. What the gift is, nothing less than the only begotten Son of God. What the gift cost the giver, it cost him everything. The way the gift is received, just by faith, by belief and trust. Not just believing God exists. Everybody, you know, anybody with common sense looks at the creation and says there must be a creator. That's not what believing means. Believing means trusting in him as the one and only way for your salvation that you're lost without him, that he's, uh, you know, he's the way, the truth, the life, trusting in him, giving your life to him. The problem that the gift fixes, the problem of perishing and what the gift produces, everlasting life. Just in conclusion, just these are just some of my reflections I've been having this Christmas here. You know, if anyone is lost, it will not be because God does not love them. It will be because that they have resisted the gift of God. And he does love you enough to give you that choice. He does love you enough to give you the choice to reject him, unless you're a Calvinist. I had to lighten it up a little bit, I'm sorry. Listen, if anyone is lost, it will not be because God does not love them. It will be because that they rejected the gift that God has given to them. Just because they just chose with an act of their will and they said, I don't want anything to do with it. That's how people get lost. You know? If anyone lives an empty life, it will not be because God does not love them. It will be because they resisted the gift of God. if anyone leaves here today filled, grateful, joyful, and content, it is because they know, it's because you know that God loves you, and because you've received the greatest gift. You know, in conclusion here, double conclusion, I'm a preacher, right? So you say in conclusion, and then there's another conclusion, and it's like, you know, landing a plane. This verse has 25 words in it. And I think this may just be a coincidence. We're talking about an English translation here, right? But 25, right? It's an odd number. So that that means there's an exact middle point, doesn't it? There's a center if there's 25. What do you suppose is the exact center of this verse? I think there's something so key here. If you want to receive the gift of God, then he needs to be right at the center of your life just as much as he's at the center of this verse. So, Heavenly Father, that is my prayer here today. God, that if anybody has not said yes to you, Father, that they would receive your love just here and now. Lord, I pray for anybody that's been struggling. I pray for anybody that's just been living an empty existence, Lord. Anybody that's saying that there's got to be more to life than this, Father, I pray, God, that you would open their eyes now, that you would help them to turn from an act of the will to receive this gift that you've given, that they can live an abundant life, an everlasting life. They could be forgiven of their sins. They could be assured in their conscience, Lord, that you love them and that they're saved. I pray that you would do that work in here right now, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord, for reaching down, for condescending to us, to the world, to all of us sheep that had gone astray. Thank you, Father. We know for certainty if you hadn't revealed yourself to us through our conscience, through however you chose to do it with us individually, that we'd be still living that empty life, Lord. So we're grateful to you. We thank you so much for your love here today. Lord, help us, it's Christmas and Easter, I know, these are popular Christmas, Christian holidays and stuff, but God, may our hearts every day of this year just be enamored with you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this gift that you gave to us, this greatest gift of all, your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen.